0: This is Cindy Bowen with Lesson 3, Session 1 of The Kingdom, teaching at Rodney Pike, Church of God. Uh, This month, we've been looking at Jesus' theology of the Kingdom of Heaven as found in the parables of Matthew 13. And what we have found in the first two parables that make up the triad that we're looking at is that even though the Kingdom is coming, Jesus really is coming to to rule and reign on the earth, it's also a kingdom that's at hand. It's something that God is doing in the individual lives of believers and corporately in the church. Putting these parables back to back, I see in these red words a portrait of the kingdom expressed in our relationship with God. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44 and following. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man has found, he hides and for joy thereof, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had he bought it and this relationship with God is mutual the kingdom is the treasure in the field I found the treasure in the field the treasure of knowing God and that's worth more than any other thing I could ever desire or pursue in my life I want to know him I'm absolutely captivated by God. Hebrews twelve and twenty nine says our God's a consuming fire. How could we not be captivated by him? The uh prophet Ezekiel says he looks like fire from the waist down and fire enclosed in amber from the waist up. The uh Prophet Isaiah said he's high and lifted up, and and just the fringes of his robe more than fills the temple, the religious box that he was putting God in. Uh, the Apostle John says that he's like a jasper and sardius stone, shining like a jewel stone. What's not to be captivated? He's God. In a God like this, a brief encounter would never suffice. This heart was made to love, worship, and fellowship with God. So he is my treasure in the field. I would gladly sell all if it means I get him. But on his side of the relationship, the Lord gave himself to purchase us. We are the pearl. A jewel worth so much that the agonies, the sufferings of the cross, that was the acceptable price to pay that we might be redeemed, ransomed, restored. Collectively as a church, but also in a very real way, individually. Because God never saves a group. We don't get saved as we. Instead, he comes to us one-on-one. In a real relationship. And we get to make the choice as an individual whether or not we will come into the kingdom. So in these two parables, the hidden treasure and the merchant man. The kingdom comes down to this. It's a love story. I have this ambition to please God. Not that I might win favors. Not that I could appear to have a reputation but because I love him. And he has a plan to dwell with us forever. God wants to be with me. Why? Because he loves me. Because he loves you. And that love is a God-intensity kind of love. Listen to this prayer of the Apostle Paul that is uh, recorded in his epistle to the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians 3 and 16, And I'm reading this out of a a new King James verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the what is the breadth length depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And and that was a, a lot of words there. There was a, a big mouthful. But I want to look at that. Can I can I just Greek that out for you tonight? Paul prayed that God would grant the believers according to the riches his riches and of his glory, his splendor, his brightness, his majesty, That they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Or empowered with the mighty, wondrous, miracle power of God inside of us. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Jesus with his Christos anointing. That anointing that would mark Messiah or or Christ uh, in Isaiah chapter uh, 61 that he was anointed to preach the good news to the poor the meek and the afflicted the poor uh having uh the the gospel preached to them the good news is they they have all they need the meek means they aren't defending themselves or can't and what uh, what is better news than god's going to defend you the afflicted are those who are sick and those who are suffering. And what better news could there be that God is interested in your pain and your sickness and he's going to heal you. Know that Christos anointing is on Jesus. Jesus and his Christos anointing takes up his habitation in the fountain of your thoughts, in the fountain of your passions, desires, appetites, affections, and purposes. So that everything that flows out of you flows through Jesus and his Christos anointing. That you being rooted and grounded in love, having your foundation and and being established in the affections, benevolence, and goodwill of God, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, depth, and height. And and this is talking about the, the... the measurement of God's love, the breadth is that the, the plateaus, the great extent, like from one end of the earth to the to the opposite end. That's the breadth of God's love. The length or the massiveness, the the violent intensity of God's love, the the depth, the the bathos, the, the deep inexhaustible abundance of it, the height of it, the, the us the exalted measures of the love of God. And, and I hope you see that, uh, that picture that this love of God is bigger than anything else you could imagine. You can't go high enough to get over it. You can't go around it. You can't go beneath it. You can't escape. It's passion God loves you with a God intensity love verse 19 to know the love of Christ which passes or transcends and surpasses knowledge knowledge that that's head knowledge we can read the book and never know the God who who sent it as the message but God but Paul is praying for us to know the love of Christ That passes that knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The body of believers filled with the presence, power, agency, riches of God and of Christ. And come on, that's good stuff tonight. No matter how much I love God. No matter how fiery it feels inside of me, this passion for him. No matter how it shapes my life. The intensity of God's love for me far outstrips my own love. His response to my weak love is all out of proportion. It's so much greater, so much bigger than whatever I'm giving. No matter what I pour out for him, he has poured out so much more for me. The kingdom... Is a love story. Amen? And tonight we're going to turn our eyes to that third parable in the triad. And it's a little bit of changing of gears. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. And if you will, let's go ahead and look at that. But before I talk to you too much about the kingdom of being a net, I'd like to tell you a story about my dad. My father lives in Kentucky, and he's an elderly gentleman now, but when I was a young girl, I remember the thing about my dad was that he loved to go fishing. He had an old boat when we were young with a long nose on it, and we would all pile onto that boat uh, with a cooler on on a cool morning before the sun ever came up. We would have a a cooler full of cheese Whiz and peanut butter sandwiches and a foam crate of night crawler worms that we had helped him to collect the night before. Uh, it seemed like a, an adventure at the time, but we would take our flashlights out and look for worms on the ground at night and and, and we'd collect them for him in his, his little foam container. And he always had some chicken livers with him, raw ones a, in a bowl. And we would get in that boat, all of our family, and we would fly over the water of the lake that's near his home. And that's because that's where my dad liked to fish. And my dad always knew just where he wanted to go in that boat. To me, the water all looked the same. But he had a plan. He would fix, fire up his outboard motor and take us to one place or another on the lake, the place that he had his eye on and he'd use his trolling motor to get closer and closer to the shore. And then he would drop the boat's little anchor so we wouldn't drift back out into the middle of the water. My sister and I would climb up on the nose of that boat and uh, while my dad was fishing, uh, my sister and I would read the books that we had brought with us and and you know, thinking about that, uh, about those summers long ago, it's it's a little nostalgic for me. I can almost uh, smell the 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 water from the lake and feel the, the boat rocking on the waves. But my dad always seemed to know just where to anchor the boat, so that he would that he would get fish that would bite, and he knew what kind of bait he was going to use. get the fish he was after he was a a fisherman that had a strategy he wasn't just throwing whatever bait he had he had uh he knew what the fish wanted he had night crawlers that we had talked about he had the chicken livers in his bowl he had bow uh, little dough balls where he had he had made a ball out of a piece of sandwich bread and and he had a tackle box that to these, this little girl's eyes looked like a treasure chest, just full of glittering toys. though no, They were really hooks. And, and the thing is that, that my dad knew that to get the fish he wanted, he had to use the right kind of lure or the right kind of bait. When my dad was fishing and he got a fish on the line he would start reeling it in and, and the fish always put up a good fight it was always a struggle between my dad and the fish would he get it in before it got away and and when he had reeled it up to the side of the boat he realized that I, he was he was going to risk losing the fish if he pulled it out of the water he had this little aluminum-framed fl- net that he would use to scoop up the fish. Now, when he scooped up that fish, if it was a little fish, uh, didn't measure up to the, to the limit for the day, over the side it would go. Or sometimes he would see he would it was a catfish or a little bluegill fish and not the, the large mouse bass he was after. So over the side of the boat it would go. Uh, But if it was that bass, he had a live well in that boat where it would stay until we went home. And the net that my dad used was just fine for him, the little fisherman in the boat. You see, my dad was just enjoying his weekend. He was off work and he was having fun. Maybe we would eat fish for dinner that day. Or maybe he would take it to the taxidermist if, if the bass was large enough. He has a couple of those on his wall, and I remember him catching them. But he wasn't trying to start up a fishing business up. He wasn't trying to, to make a commercial haul with his little bitty pole and his little bitty net. No, the net was not the kind that a commercial fisherman crew would take out into the Atlantic those boats go out to deep waters and they let down nets that are far bigger and far heavier than my daddy's little net and probably my daddy's whole little boat and when they pull that net back into the boat after lowering it into the water those boats will catch hundreds of tons of fish every day And even though they may be after a specific kind of fish, like a bluefin tuna or a cod, the net catches everything in the water. And sometimes that ends up being fish that are not good for eating. Things that are bony or not as tasty. And sometimes it's things like dolphins and sea turtles. And when I was looking all this information up on the internet, I found websites with lots of angry people about this practice but you understand the picture i'm trying to give you that the net that these fishermen use the net is huge and it catches anything in its path and that's the kind of net we're going to talk about tonight let's turn again to matthew 13 and start in verse 47 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. And when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw the bad away. The people listening to Jesus that day knew about fishing, they lived near the Mediterranean Sea. They were near the Galilean Sea and much of Jesus' ministry was in the land of Galilee. At least four members of his inner circle, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen by trade. They knew how to handle a net. They knew what it would take to run a fishing business, pulling in all kinds of fish. The, both the, the kind people would buy and the, people, the kind people really wouldn't want. They understood a fishing net. But Jesus wasn't talking about their business model. <clears throat> he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. It is a relationship between the believer and God. But he is bigger than they have understood. And God's plans are always bigger than we imagine. God wasn't just after Jewish believers. God is interested in the salvation of everyone everywhere in all of time. His net is spread for the whole wide world. You know the verse John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved.